Welcome to the VO2 Lounge Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the science behind athletic performance and everyday life. If you are new, then welcome, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. If you are a returning listener and haven't already done so, remember to follow, rate and share the show with your friends or even join the VO2 Lounge Discord server. Links down below. Now this is the first episode in a new series I'm calling The Diary of a Failed Athlete. I'm going to go through my life and all its lessons regarding sport and athletic performance in no particular order may I add. So for example, I started off initially, like many people, playing many a sports, then transitioned to rugby and then transitioned to cycling. Now I may just pick and choose where and when I deliver different um, episodes, but just enjoy it as it comes. This episode is going to be on why I stopped using training platforms such as Zwift, TrainerRoad and Wahoo System and platforms the same as them. You don't have to look very far to find tales of people seeing massive improvements from TrainerRoad and Zwift before being stuck at a plateau, being overtrained or feeling a lack of motivation to continue with their training plan. So let's explore why this is happening and why it happened to me. So let's start with some background and set the scene for this podcast episode. Uh, In 2020, we had the global pandemic, as everyone I'm sure is aware. (laughs) Before this point, I played a lot of rugby. I mean, a considerable amount of rugby. I trained on the pitch between two and four times a week, played between one and two matches per week, and was in the gym between one and three times a week. Obviously, the maximum of these wasn't all at the same time they would ebb and flow lower training weeks more gym time higher training weeks less gym time uh, more matches on a weekend less gym time less training so on and so forth Um, I had some history of mountain biking but no hardcore endurance really Uh, we'd more ride about our local area then go to mountain bike parks To be honest, I even struggled going up uh, any sort of reasonable climb. So endurance wasn't really my thing. Um, That is until mid-2019 when I started cycling to work. The bug caught me, but rugby got in the way of things really taking off. The most riding I would do would be on off weeks and around Christmas kind of time. But with the pandemic, this gave me an excuse um, to up my volume continue to ride more and more and more and really I caught the bug so much that I never went back to playing rugby. Now during the training process I decided to take things a bit more seriously and rather than just riding around with my friends I decided to sign up to a Grand Fondo. The Grand Fondo in question is the Dragon Ride, a 230 approximately depends on the year kilometer ride with three and a half thousand meters of elevation this is in Wales as well, so extremely grippy tarmac and can be raining, can be windy. It's not the easiest place to do 230 kilometers. Now this is where Zwift and Trainer Road come in, and this is also where my problems started to occur. Before going too much further, I'd like to say at this point that Trainer Road and Zwift, to some extent, have moved things along a reasonable amount since I used them with any anger. Train Road have introduced polarised plans, albeit looking like a little bit of an afterthought, and have incorporated their AI-driven adaptive training that should address some of the burnout issues 
um, present from really driven by the ramp test. Um, but aside from this, it's not all bad. Zwift is more than a training than its training plans and has built an amazing online community for people to interact with and allows you to build your own workouts. So that's always an option really. Zwift is is just it's more than the plans really. You can't critique the whole platform on simply its plans. But the purpose of this episode, that is where I'm that's what I'm looking at. And Train Road is a great data analysis platform with the benefit of the plan builder and workout catalog to use as a guide. I think it's definitely a really useful tool, along with the more historic versions of the podcast. The latest stuff is a bit different, I would say. But 2020, 2019 area, there's some really good content that almost, if you were listening to that in conjunction with a little bit of use of the, the program, um, you can get a long way into building your own plans. But the nature of the app leads to some confusion, which we'll cover as I go on. Now, to understand where I started to see the problem and what the problems could be with these training plans, I think you need to understand um, how you'd go about making a plan in the first place. And reverse engineering things is probably the best way to go about it. You will notice that I'm mainly referring to Trainer Road during the podcast. Um, and that is to some extent a bit of a compliment towards them. Zwift is so far to some extent off the mark in relation to being an out-and-out training platform that the issues can be summarized pretty quickly in the lack of goal targeting um, and event-centric plans and a longer-term plan. It relies on the user to kind of plot it themselves. Uh, to my understanding, is they don't have the calendar functionality and really they are something that is tagged along useful for the winter as something to engage you with but even in that sense the plans are pretty sporadic in the number of zones that are in workouts and how it all is a mishmash of things so that's why predominantly i'm going to be talking about train road because there's more right there than there is wrong to some extent so building a plan can really be summarized in three steps um, goal events what are the demands of the goal events and how much time do you have to train and over how many days are you available to train so the goal event is important because that is your mark in the sand or marks possibly in the sand of when you need to have x amount of fitness or peak fitness or whatever it is or whether it's a goal month or however it works these are going to allow you to effectively backcast from there as to when your training needs to actually start being deliberate and when volume need to, when you really need to start focusing on things and when you can just be in your off season really um, and Moving on to then the demands of that goal event. Now, now you know where they sit. The demands allow you to, in reality, only they only affect the um, like the specificity kind of phase. They only affect and the aerobic development. 
to some extent because those final few weeks are where you're catering your uh, fitness physiology towards that event. So if you're doing a TT, you're not really worrying about uh, like one minute efforts. You're more concerned about hour, half hour, 20 minutes, whatever it is, like a sustained effort, maybe some over-unders to cope with uh, changes in gradient. But you're not really concerned about big surges with little recovery. And then how much time you have to train is obviously critical, really. It's if you, for example, went onto a training app and you've got eight hours, but there's there's no eight hour option really as such as it's going to say low volume, for example, or mid volume, but really you could just push a bit more. It becomes harder to do so. Now, the number of days and how much time you have is important to consider because the more days you have, the easier the higher volume becomes. Seven days, an hour a week, seven hours a week, compared to like three days a week, you're going to be doing more volume on those days. But in general, this is a key thing to etch out and also to etch it out depending where you are in the year. So for example, you may find that in your base season, you can actually train six days a week and then it's only in the summer, in the better months of the year, Northern Hemisphere specific, that your time almost decreases which is all right because it will kind of coincide with overall hours reducing and intensity increasing so then you may be like oh that's all perfectly fine or it may be the other way around and it just affects how you how you cater that training plan now with that kind of brief overview of them let's go into a bit more now the three kind of sub pillars i suppose you could say are um, duration volume and frequency and intensity distribution that's kind of now now you've gone past the very raw basics of what's the event what are the demands and how much time can i train now you've got that you need to figure out these next three steps now from this um, we can split training into a base phase or a general endurance phase an aerobic development phase and a race specific phase Now, these last between 10 and 14 weeks, 3 and 4 weeks, and 2 to 4 weeks, respectively. Giving you something in the region of a 20-week plan in total when you look at these kind of numbers. Now, this is if you've got a season for between March and September, that's 7 months, which is 30 weeks. Add 4 weeks before the beginning of the season, say, and then... Uh, that brings you to 34 and if you start in Jan then that's 38 weeks approximately so a pretty long season these aren't short seasons it obviously depends on kind of sport you're doing so you really don't want to already overextend this any more than you need to Um, now this is where you encounter kind of the first issue uh, specifically in uh, train road sense If you didn't know any better and picked up a training app right now, right this moment, you went, I'm taking next season seriously um, because, I don't know, maybe I got sick or whatever or I'm new to the sport and I really want to take this seriously. You'd be thrown straight into structured training um, from now. Now, this is a common um, for the time of year where people who didn't feel like they got enough for their season um, do so you decide to dedicate yourself to this 
Now, you're likely to feel great for a month or two or maybe three, but come the time when you should actually be ramping up training, you're already going to be a bit fed up and still four or five months out from your goal event. It's really hard, and this is what I found, starting in approximately like the October time, doing these intervals, specifically a lot of sweet spot work, doing the low volume plan three days a week every day was pretty much intensity other than the rest weeks where you do zone two and you're like yeah ftp's going up doing ramp test feeling great but then you, you get to like december and you go jesus I've, my event isn't until june and i'm already like feel like i've i've peaked almost i've put in I've cashed all my chips feel like I've done a lot of work already. Um, the simple solution to this would be for the app to say, take it easy and noodle about for a bit. But this is where the conflict of interest starts to come between optimal results and getting people to buy the app. And they feel like they, they're getting their money's worth from the app. I'm almost wondering if they would be, if it would be more successful or less successful to have a larger, longer term follow base if they said, um, hey, don't start training until 20 weeks or 30 weeks out and just twift about for a bit. Just noodle around. Don't take it too seriously. And whether people would just carry over the subscription for the three months, four months in between purely because they're too lazy to, to, to stop it. But obviously, if you are new, pay for a plan, you're like, I don't know, 10 months away, eight, nine months away, you pay for this plan and it just says, yeah, you just just free ride for f- four months. We won't give you anything other than maybe occasionally say, oh, just go have like a little group ride today or whatever and smash about for a bit. You'd, you'd kind of be like, hey, this is this is nonsense. But in reality, probably if you're going with uh, a coach, there's a different level of you may be doing other specific stuff over that off-season to benefit you later maybe it's going to the gym maybe it's doing other sports just to keep you like interested and they'll moderate things and start formulating a plan for you for the next year but obviously that's a lot more expensive now with the duration of the training plans and clearly kind of being too long because they're an all-year-round thing with intensity pretty much all the time um it's important to look at then the volume when you have started training and you should actually be training how much volume do you do now, from professionals, we can see the volume is key and most of us will never reach our genetic ceiling due to it, really. Um, results from studies have shown that this is going to be running specific because that's what I found. But they've shown that in half marathon runners, a higher training volume, longer, longest endurance run and higher training pace are related to a faster finish time, while a higher training volume and longer, longest endurance run endurance run are also related to less decline during a race in marathon runners a lower weekly training volume shorter longest endurance run and slower training pace are associated with a slower finish time while a higher weekly training volume and faster training pace were related to faster finish times which is probably obvious i mean you can kind of just ignore the um training pace as such because that's kind of then obvious to some extent but Effectively, the volume is necessary for one, probably cultivating the actual the training pace, 
the lack of a decline over the course of a race, which even if you're cycling and doing a criterion, it's only an hour, that is where the volume comes in to, it's less important because the, the, the race is shorter. So to get to the elite level, you probably don't have to do as many hours a week in comparison to someone trying to get to the elite level road racing. But it's still all important. Now, this isn't cycling specific, of course, but the the extract are taken, but it is still incredibly relevant. Now, this is where the what I see as like an over focus on raw TSS and not raw hours and train distribution hinder progress um, and a lack of true aerobic uh, stimulation, allowing for the adaptions necessary uh, for later in your training plan. Coming in to a new um, the new plans really obviously to keep people stimulated and to make it look complex and and allow for gains early on sweet spots great it feels hard but not too hard you re- it's very interactive because there's a change of pace somewhat frequently it's not just a flat zone two ride um you're going to see your FTP increase, but doing it two or three times a week so far out from any event is probably non, well, isn't advisable and can, it's what's going to really burn you out unless you are incredibly driven, really. And yeah, this is what it is. But what it is lacking, especially if you haven't already got it, is that these zone two adaptions that are crucial to allow you to perform at sweet spot, perform at thresholds, perform at a VO2 interval and so on and so forth. So the key here is the presence of adequate zone 2 work and zone 2 training is also referred to as base aerobic training. All elite athletes spend months doing base training which isn't necessarily, I suppose months means just more than two but their base season could be a lot longer slash a lot more intense than and amateurs, and you can really leave it fairly late to some extent, at least 75 to 8% of which of their training is also in this zone 1 to zone 2 area rather than a huge distribution at high intensity. Now, if you're only able to do three hours a week, right, in the, it may it may be that you, you don't achieve the 80 to 75% because it's actually like 33% because you spend an hour out twice a week doing zone two and then you spend an hour basically sat at sweet spot during your like base buildy kind of season so you the 80 75 so 80 20 split isn't necessarily a hard and fast rule it's more that clearly once you're doing 20 to 30 hours a week you can't you have to stick to an 80 20 kind of split otherwise you will burn out however as you come down in volume, this is not to say you still stick to 80-20. Um, if you've only got three hours to train, you're not going to do like 20 minutes a week or 10 minutes a week at um, at threshold or sweet spot. You're just going to have to do more. But it's important that you've still got a predominant number of your days is spent at uh, a zone two level. Now, during ZO2 training, you will increase your number of mitochondria, mitochondrial efficiency, and increase your metabolic flexibility. Now, metabolic flexibility refers to the ability for your mitochondria 
to utilize fat and glucose as an energy source, aka switching between different substrates with ease is the kind of key thing here. At lower heart rates, your main source of fuel should be fat, not glucose. Um, poorly functioning mitochondria, which are likely to be found in 75% approximately of people, will result in metabolic inflexibility or the inability to use fat versus glucose. And this is where you get people who your uh, your state, should I say, how you feel fluctuates greatly and the glucose spikes can be quite high and then big troughs simply because you just over rely on it, tapping into it a lot. And doing a lot, it's not that doing purely sweet spot or, or, or intensity two times, three times a week when you're only training three times a week is going to turn you into that sedentary-esque person because you're already going to be improving all these factors. But nowhere near as much and you're going to reach a plateau in the season really early. Like say you started in January or in this case like October in my case, you and what I saw was I hit like a 330 watt FTP, 340 almost on a ramp test. But then for the rest of the year, I never went past that because I kept on yo-yoing in and out of trainer road plans, basically getting burnt out, recover, burn out, recover, burn out, recover, and just maybe drop to 300 watts, come back up to 330, drop down to 300 and just yo-yo, but never break through that ceiling. Um, and that's where people could be. Now you can kind of see that in looking at the general base, um, volume, the high volume plans only nine hours a week, which is not high volume. My off season, it, where I go, one, I no longer ride on the weekends for social reasons, for life reasons, just I, I cut off the weekends and I just commute to work Monday to Friday on the bike. Assuming there's no rain or it's not absolutely treacherous or whatever, for the most part, I would try to ride those five days, which brings me to six or seven hours a week, which I would consider um, a, I wouldn't even say moderate, it's like a low, I say a moderate amount of volume would be, we're talking... 10 to 15 kind of area 15 to 20 that is where you start saying 20 hours a week high volume definitely but eight to nine hours at the peak is really not the low volume is true as such it's three to four hours five to six hours and then traditional base that's where you see the peak of their plans at 10 to 11 and then the polarized training which arguably you'd use to be able to push up your volume because you can't get that volume from high intensity it's still only seven to eight hours a week. So this is where um, the general trend is carried through th these phases of training volume on trainer road with volume decreasing as it should with the as you progress through from base build and specialty. Um, but overall hours just constantly remaining fairly low really this highlights the fact that indoor training is two things subjectively in my opinion quite boring uh, and uncomfortable so getting long rides in on the trainer especially at zone two where there's a lot of pressure through the, the contact points other like other than the feet so the uh, posterior and the 
hands. It's going to make it really uncomfortable to do long rides and they're simply not going to happen. So where do you get it from? Intensity. Now, this is the argument I see coming up where people say one hour on the trainer is like one and a half hours outdoors. So a 10 hour plan is actually 15 hours outdoors. But if you're, and that's driven by the fact that there's no stopping and constant pedaling. But if your outdoor rides have this, they have lots of stops, lots of uh, coasting, then it highlights more of an issue with your discipline and route selection than anything else. So for example, I obviously when I'm doing the zone two rides, you plan something where you can stop as little as possible. If you're going downhill, as long as it's not a really steep gradient, you just carry on, stay on the pedals and so on and so forth. And then Sometimes people complain about getting intervals, you get interrupted. Well, if you, what I do is I've got various, across where I live, there are various points where there is maybe a five to ten, if I'm lucky, more like a five kilometer loop, which are all left-hand turns. In the UK, you ride on the left-hand side or drive on the left-hand side, which means that I only have to be concerned with one direction of traffic, the, the traffic that I'm bleeding in with. So I can clearly spot the car, slow down, pedal a little slower and then come back in and not need to stop and interrupt the interval. Yes, maybe say I'm at 300 watts, it has to drop to like 260 for 3-4 seconds but then I can get back into things really quickly and often if you do it on a weekend morning or a morning on a weekday when it's quite quiet still, you can get these interrupted sessions and not be bored out of your mind personally but this is just bringing it back is where the my the tss overall tss is great for understanding ah okay why do i feel uh incredibly tired this week oh look i only did 10 hours and last week i did 15 but then if you look at the tss and you go whoa okay i did race this week and did do intensity or i raced twice this week my tss is like 400 versus that 15 hour week that was 350 these are just arbitrary numbers i don't think they correlate very well but it's a useful tip for that but progress it is so much easier to progressively overload the system especially if you're starting at the beginning of the year with volume because you start off and you go right my plan is for the base phase, I'm going to ride seven days a week. I'm going to ride every week, every day of the week. But I'm only riding three days a week at the moment because it was the off season. Well, the first two weeks, first three weeks can literally just be, okay, I'm going to ramp up to seven days a week. Progressive overload. You hit seven days a week. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to now bring in my sweet spot intensity ride. So you do that. And then now you've got seven days a week and you're at your full hour at sweet spot or half an hour or 220 minute blocks or whatever it is, just say you're going to do an entire, just one hour total volume. And then from there, you can come back, you can bring in the just look at other days, go, I can squeeze in an hour here, hour there, rather than just trying to squeeze in intervals everywhere and getting to the point where you ride three days a week, but every time you ride the bike, it's flat out intervals and you're burning out because you don't want to ride the bike because every time you get on it, it's intensity so that i think is the biggest glaring issue with that methodology of training now i've almost gone ahead of myself here i was going to talk about frequency and intensity um, distribution but i've effectively just spoken about the fact that the whole 80 20 split 
the fact that if you're training less, you can't necessarily follow this, but these training plans often take it to an extreme of three days of intensity. And one thing I will add is that if you're doing, if you're looking at your whole week's training and you've got three days a week and on each day you're doing intervals, those rest periods aren't really zone two or zone one adaption. Like they are not causing that because the when once you tip into that glycolytic process, for your body to come back to uh, using fat oxidation rather than glucose oxidation to fuel the activity isn't going to happen in a minute or two minutes or three. So if you are, you're trying to up the volume, but you can't add more days. So you're adding zone two into it. Don't increase the rest periods. Don't add it to the end of the ride. Add it at the beginning. Start at the beginning, long warm up or just a taper into your zone two, ride at zone two for an hour, then do your intervals to maximize and increase the quality of that zone two work. So really, if you're doing three days a week and there's a high intensity only, you, there's basically no zone two in your activity other than that warm up, really. So that's what really results in the... Because effectively, you're just, it's like you're jumping straight to the... Like your specialty, your your race specific adaptions. You're just going sharpening the spear, right? Straight away, you hit the plateau like you naturally will will in a season. At some point, you are going to hit your plateau, but you're hitting it really early, and then you're getting burnt out because you're not seeing any results. Um, and that's simply how it is. What I think it is worth discussing is the method of FTP testants and the abundance of workouts. The abundance of workouts real quick. I think that's why um, it can be quite daunting getting into a training plan or making your own or doing things yourself because you, on any of these, Wahoo System, Trainer Road and Zwift and any of the others that exist, to keep people engaged and to add a, le- a level of technicality to things, there are a million and one different workouts and you don't you could probably i mean i'd have to go through it workout by workout but you could probably get away with 10 unique workouts ignoring like the difference between one hour at zone two two hour at zone two three hour four hour effectively all you need is a rough zone two workout which is just right at zone two a sweet spot workout which can just be progressively overloaded from 10 minute intervals to 20 to 30 to an hour for the intervals uh ftp or like threshold workouts where you're doing 5 10 15 20 minutes of threshold and then vo2 stuff where you're doing 30 seconds 40 seconds a minute and different variations which you can use really either leading up to your goal event or to maintain things throughout the season. You don't need these ever-changing workouts. I mean, over-unders are another one that are useful for certain types of racing, but there isn't a need for like 400 different workouts. You don't necessarily need that. Um, With the FTP testing, the use of a RAM test pretty much always always overestimates what true one hour power 
and therefore also makes the intervals too challenging. My personal experience, had a 300 YFTP and it was alright. I probably just didn't do the ramp test to the best of my ability. Um, but it ended up being an ideal number for training. Then came back to the 330 and the 330 watt intervals were so far out of my reach for anything more than like one week or two weeks before I really got burnt out because they were really, really hard. Um, whereas if I had done either two things, one, a 20 minute test and really identified what my ability is to maintain a power output or two, done a ramp test and taken like, what would 10 watts be? What would 20 watts be? That'd be, it'd be almost 10%. It'd be like 7% off the ramp test value and gone with that. It's a bit like vanity lifting, trying to lift a weight uh, too heavy with lower reps because you want to lift the bigger number rather than trying to do any form of hypertrophy work to gain muscle when you hit a plateau or poor form or so on and so forth. Training with that higher FTP or saying you got that FTP is kind of like that. So that's where I think FTP testing can be addressed. Yes, TrainRoad specifically has got uh, an AI-driven system now. As to how successful that is, not 100% sure. But for reference of other programs, probably just things like critical power and FTP are useful, but know that they are not the like be-all and end-all of your performance and of your training uh, intensities and training. So after shooting all these things down, I should probably mention what, I my personal approaches to things uh, now as an alternative to following these training programs. So, starting with the final race of the year. After the last race of the year, I become pretty lax with riding and only do my commuter work, allowing me to peak volume, as I've said, six to seven hours a week, sometimes even less if weather or what life gets in the way. And I feel no uh, regret or obligation to pick up the volume elsewhere sometimes yeah i'll throw a weekend right because the weather's great or whatever but it's not essential and then more strength training can be picked up and implemented into the into daily life and fix any niggles or look at the bike fit or so on and so forth there's time to tinker time to mess around time to enjoy other things um and then approximately january but it based on where the 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 a event is i bring my volume back up and get to the point where i'm riding six to seven days a week consistently then i backtrack from the key event 20 weeks out and mark that point in the calendar which is where i will begin to bring in intensity in the form of sweet spot work now base only intensity um is uh most of the week in this period of base work now and then there'll just be one interval session where i'll try accumulate a total hour of sweet spot work um that's not a hard and fast value depends on how i'm feeling it may be 40 minutes maybe 30 minutes at the beginning of the year it may only be 20 minutes or two 20 minute intervals but try hit that total volume of one hour at sweet spot and develop the whole aerobic system um then I'll move on to the build phase or the aerobic development phase, which is two intensity days 
usually one which is sweet spot and the other which is uh, a more threshold specific like four to ten minute effort intervals then race specific it's kind of in the name whatever the goal event is which is a little bit hard because for me personally the goal is not necessarily an event it's more points to do with ranking up through the categories so to some extent actually peaking for an event is a bit harder because you're like oh i want to race like 20 races or or whatever it is or 25 or 30 however many it is so it becomes more of a how do i have a bigger plateau how do i have a bigger point at peak fitness but also which race suit which course specifically suits my physiology the best peaking for that and tapering that fitness uh, specificity phase to that event and then post a race or post the uh, race that i deem the most important um i'll just simply maintain things through keeping a moderately high volume doing uh, 30 30s or 40 20s or one minute on when one minute off like high vo2 vo2 work around races say i've got like two weeks between a race then maybe ease things up get a little bit of recovery in and then go back at it couple like the week of the race some high intensity stuff and just get to the end of the season that way uh, uh, now there are other you know criterions been lower you can still follow the a b and c esque races which is still useful um but taper it towards your your specific needs so to summarize things what have we found well we found that possible reasons for the burnout seen in these training plans is one the over dependency on total tss from the form of uh, high intensity intervals starting the season effectively too early and starting structured training too early in the year um, and three a lack of overall volume and a lack of overall zone two specific volume could all be leading to the burnout and the lower uh, natural peak in the season. For more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com or on the vo2lounge discord server. Links all below. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, it's goodbye.